Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action Wisconsin, and welcome to another scorching hot week here from Wisconsin. We have our full panel. Everybody's off vacation this week, which is, I don't know if that's so good. I probably should be more like France and take all of August off, but we're not. We're here, which means Priscilla Bort, our Movement Politics Director, is with us. Priscilla, good to have you. Hi. Uh, Hello. Happy, happy happy day. Happy toasty uh, summer. These summer days are are here as Labor Day fast approaches, uh, and uh, they yeah got a little a little toasty, <laughs> a little tiny toasty yesterday. and swampy. Yeah, a little <laughs> tiny bit. Yes, nothing like when you go close to three digits and the humidity tries to get over eighty percent. That is a lovely combination. Yeah. But we got to move on to our next panelist who. I will just say is he's like a pig and shit with this. He loves hot and humid. That's Robert Craig, our executive director, Robert, how are you enjoying this God awful weather? Well, when I spent two years at university <laughs> of Georgia, I was amazed how the Georgians couldn't handle half an inch of snow and they can't don't <laughs> well, go out when they're driving in the half inch of snow. Uh, but how we can't handle what is a typical Georgia August Yes. Even without climate change, which I did enjoy when I was down there. <laughs> yes, now their typical days are 110. It's unbelievable. <laughs> By the way, like all seriousness, right? Texas is abs- It's in the South is still roasting, right? And as as our temperatures cooled later today and tomorrow across the state, Texas and the South is going to continue to roast for like the next four days. We're talking 110 plus temperatures. It's um it's it's really important and you know obviously the connect between that climate change we won't even get into power generation uh and how the country whether it actually has a plan for that we'll talk all about that at another time but folks we were ground zero yesterday here in wisconsin uh for the republican debate which was not even the top story <laughs> for the Republican Party, which is stunning. Uh, I, I went out of my way to try to catch the national news, and the debate was somewhere in the middle to the end. Trump, he led the newscast. Uh, once they finished talking about Putin's revenge on Bogrosian, this is a very important point because it means Trump continues to dominate both in the polling, and that was sort of the, and, 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 in the public's attention. And today he will be doing his perp walk. We'll be getting that great photo. The Giuliano Giuliani photo yesterday was special and lovely. Uh, but regardless, um, I want to talk about the debate. I want to get your give you an opportunity for your thoughts, not just specifically about the debate, if you want to, or just the broader, you know, environ which this is going on, which is let's just say it. It's crazy. That is a party that is extraordinarily divided. Robert, I'm going to give you the first start. Then Priscilla, you follow. Let's get your initial thoughts and reactions the day after the Republican debate. There are a lot of different ways to look at this debate. You can try to do the horse race thing all the uh, media wants to do. Uh, you can dig into the policy, which was mostly disappointing, though uh, we learned some things. Um, and we learned about fissures in the party. Let me start with the, uh, and then if there, there's no, since I was a scholarship uh, debater, there was, there's no, there's no point talking about this on debate or rationality grounds, like you're judging an actual debate. It's a misnaming of, of whatever it is. As far as the horse race, it, the people who seemed to overperform were Nikki Haley. And I will say that Nikki Haley is in a different, we, we usually talk about the never-Trumpers and the MAGA. She's conventional Republicans who are still trying to deal with Trump without taking him on completely and retake the party. It's sort of a stealth strategy. And I think there are a lot of uh, Republican elected leaders, particularly in the U.S. Senate and governors, uh, that, are, that are getting behind Nikki Haley. So she, she was strong in this debate. Uh, her counterpart, Tim Scott, seemed to not exist in the debate. And so that that punctures him. Same with DeSantis, who certainly did not dominate the debate in any way, shape or form. I mean, Vivek Ramaswamy is the Trump mini me. 
and I think it could be his VP. And imagine him uh, having an advice presidential debate with Kamala Harris. We should start thinking about that. He certainly seemed like Trump's spokesman on stage uh, and was very aggressive. And by the way, I'll just say I feel like a lot of the other opponents played right in to his Mm -hmm. hands. Mm -hmm. uh, No doubt about it. And the only one who seemed to be able to really deal with him was Nikki Haley. Priscilla, your your initial thoughts, Robert. We'll get more from you. Priscilla, Priscilla, more your initial thoughts. So I am not a debate person and did not watch the debate, but have made sure to read uh enough stuff about it that i get the uh the sense of what's going on i took the self-care route and thought i don't need to stress myself out with this i know what they're gonna say and i wasn't wrong uh all the stuff i thought they were gonna say (laughs) they said you know uh they avoided climate change they didn't talk about uh agriculture in an agricultural state Um, uh, you know living in Milwaukee was a matter of like okay what streets do I need to avoid uh, because (laughs) there are both our protests and the other side just out uh, seeing I think the the weirdest I'll go with weirdest thing of yesterday was seeing tweets of like oh yeah uh, Marjorie Taylor Greed is just on Sherwin Hughes's show and Matt Gates is just playing cornhole down at the Third Street <laughs> Market Hall and yes. Trump Jr. is just like walking around by like the the like third ward it's just it was so strange it gave a really uh terrifying thing to think about next year when there's gonna be more <laughs> of them just walking around in our a whole city. week of it yeah uh so that was i think the strangest thing of like it was here uh and you know it, it was frustrating that it was here but like all the reports are saying the clear winner was the person who didn't come uh yeah because, no doubt Yes. Yeah. Which we knew was going to happen. It just kind of really solidified. That was the debate for vice president. Well, Priscilla, I'm glad you brought that perspective to this because I wasn't sure which person I was going to be because I was, first of all, after getting through yesterday, I was a bit exhausted at the end of the day. And fortunately, you know, I was able to get in an air conditioned room and with my wife and we watched it. So we went down that hole and agreed to, we turned off the office and decided to watch it uh, go from one form of humor to another. In all seriousness, I want to tie and get back to Robert on this. Um, Priscilla, you bring up a great point, right? Like at some level, this side's going to do what it's going to do. We have a totally deep understanding of what this mega party really has become. Even if a Nick, when you even watch a Nikki Haley operate in this weird environment but you're absolutely right trump was the winner not only does he continue to you know just they're all not even close to him in polling he's dominating the news he dominated it all yesterday no one really stood out except for the one guy who's basically the top defender of trump but so it was fascinating to see that robert i want to go back to you and dive in a little bit more since you did watch it i did watch it And Priscilla, you're right. I want to first talk about climate change because I thought that was a critical point in the whole whole thing. Here's what I think is important. Not not only did Fox News ask the question, it was a young Republican voter who asked the question as though climate change is a reality and a scientific proof and a fact and asked them to respond to the idea and the critique that they can't be trusted on it. And please tell us what you would do about climate change, which was an amazing question because it's a a completely reasonable question asked by a Republican, a young Republican, the future. Right. And Robert, holy shit, did they bomb? Tell us more because this was critical. Tell us more about why they so utterly failed on this, that it, it, it it's why they're so out of step with young Republicans, moderates. And we need to be talking about climate. So this was mostly Fox News has become the Republican Party. So a lot of the questions were started with misinformation about the economy and other things were literally like a Republican video. So it's fascinating. They allowed the climate change question to be answered. It tells you how much climate change is so front and center. Even the Somewhat newsy figures like Brett Barrett, Fox News, thought they had to do it in that context. That's interesting. 
because otherwise it was amazing how they stilted every question at the beginning uh, and with what they showed. Um, but second, I think Ron DeSantis, he tried to, what he tried to do is he tried to like get the headlines in a way, but he, they tried to create a everyone raised their hand and DeSantis intervened to prevent that. And it didn't go off all that well. It seemed kind of disconnected. But uh, obviously, he didn't want to have to ra not raise his hand that climate change was a problem or limited to that. Uh, but he, you know, flipped right away to, to their kind of talking. But we did learn there's there is a fissure that some of them will admit it, but then want to blame China because one of the consensuses here was China, China, China. We've warned here about the China, the Cold War China. And the other group wants to deny all together, led by uh, the aforementioned Mr. Ramaswamy. Yeah, look, this was telling. It was a this was the biggest disaster for the party as a whole last night. In addition to the whole Trump, it continues to just crush them all. Because um, you're right, Robert. None of them refused to say that climate change is real, and basically, as you said, went into their pablum, which is out of touch with people. And the old, really the only one who full throatedly talked about it was Haley. And her answer was something that if like when my kid was, you know, seven or eight had told me that's the kind of answer it was. It was literally, yes, I believe we are in peril and the cl climate change is real, but we should do absolutely nothing about it until China and India do something is the most ridiculous policy solution. On the stage, really, if you think about it, the other ones don't believe it exists. So their positions are rational. She knows better. She said it exists and then came up with a policy that's based in hatred, racism, anti all kinds of just other triggers to say, I will do nothing about that problem. Wow. Hey, kids, I hope you were listening. I hope the kid who asked the question when he picked himself off the ground at what he heard, realizes he needs to vote for a Democrat. There, Priscilla, was, Robert. there was one other argument, and that was that the, the afford, that the Inflation Reduction Act is building all of the solar panels and batteries in China, and they're, and they're making them with fossil fuels. Therefore, they're making it worse. You know what? It has standards for how American everything needs to be, and you have the CHIPS Act. No one was called on that. Yeah. Uh, but and of course, the real question is, what's the trade off in terms of carbon emissions? Well, uh, there are standards and it's causing American industry a lot of problems and it's reducing the amount of, of dependence upon Chinese batteries and uh, solar panels as a result. And with that, we're going to take our first break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Battleground Wisconsin is supported by the good folks at WEAC Region 2, protecting the rights of education employees and promoting public education in the central Wisconsin area. Learn more at weac.org, W-E-A-C dot O-R-G. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about the debate, but, you know, beyond that, we're also talking about kind of the state of the Republican Party uh, we record Thursday morning and we haven't gotten the perp walk picture yet, but uh, Trump will be <laughs> he'll be getting that famous picture everybody knows about. And uh, Mark Meadows, I believe, will be getting his on Friday. Uh, this is dominating the Republican Party overshadowed the debate, but the debate happened. We're talking about it. But Priscilla wanted to just get any follow up thoughts from you on also one of the other interesting things that happens here, right, is a lot of. All progressives and movement folks, union folks, a lot of our allies, voices, a lot were out, right? We had a lot of our members out trying to get our message out, which is an important opportunity here. And we ought to stay focused in thinking about what are we about? What are we doing? It's fun to talk about this stuff, but it can be distracting. And I think your approach to the world sometimes uh, helps keep that focus a little more on your thoughts again. Any final yeah. thoughts? Yeah, uh, it was funny. I was on the Block podcast yesterday, and Kyle and I were talking about uh, disinformation and how to make sure that we, as progressives, are making sure we're not uplifting or that disinformation, uh, and finding that that middle ground of saying 
like let's concentrate on what we're doing let's concentrate on the fact that we had people out there protesting in 113 degree heat index because amazing shout out to everyone who was there you were there amazing job i could it was just sometimes it's just too hot to do things uh so amazing job to the people who were there uh shout out to all in wisconsin who does great race class narrative wording on things uh that sometimes like we know what they're gonna say uh we also know that it's gonna be false but they want us to engage with that uh and we don't have to we can talk about the things that we are doing we could talk about climate change is real and not directly be like all right this person said this exact thing and like retweet that video but we can be like yeah climate change is real this is how we're gonna like this is what we're doing about it or like oh you're saying that jobs aren't real let's talk about how many jobs have been created over the past four years uh so there is it's it's a lot of information to take in in like really what's like a two three hour time period the debates aren't that long they feel long but they're not that long it's a lot of information to take in so like always don't be like afraid like i'm confused it's okay they're meant to be confusing this also debate wasn't like really for us we're not voting for these people so this this debate wasn't for us anyways and Uh, priscilla that was on display and some of the questions there were a few questions i had to like decode and be like whoa i need to like put on my fox decoder hat to like understand what they're talking about especially you know it Priscilla, you didn't watch, but they couldn't help themselves and talk about aliens and the, you know, the oh, in a very bizarre like way. It was it was sort of strange. But um, yeah, no, there's no doubt, folks. And we need to stay and continue to r- remind folks and stay focused. Climate change. Th- this election is all in 2024 is going to be all about that. Do we want to continue down the path of what we did with the Inflation Reduction Act and do more of that, do more investments in fighting climate change in a way that also addresses our economic situation in a serious way, provides the resources that can literally change the way this country, not not only the way our economy operates, but you know how we use energy. It's absolutely critical. And last night, it was very clear that they have no solution on that. And we need to continue to stay focused on they have no solution. We do. There's a whole federal package sitting there waiting. (laughs) Just doesn't have the votes. Robert, your final thoughts on last night. Well, I'm going to take Nikki Haley as the surrogate for the Republican Party that will still do most of what Trump would do, but will do it in a more conventional way. And so on abortion, she did take she had take a lot of heat for saying that we're not going to pass a national abortion ban. You, you need 60 Senate votes, and it should just be to the states. And she was, you know, we got some of them saying, well, I, you know, including Mike Pence, who also, also overperformed because he seemed more competent and leaderly than you would have expected. We're like, I, we're grounding it in faith, and we have to go and protect the unborn no matter what. You can also take that as they're losing elections on it, and they just want to denationalize it. And so that it so we, we learned something about the not they're not never Trumpers. They would do most of what the Republicans will do under Trump. They just won't do the, you know, let's overturn the Democratic election part of it or let's uh, let's completely throw out every norm, just most of them. So the Mitch McConnell wing. I'm going to close this discussion by saying one final thing that I thought was fascinating last night and is really is the fissures. And ha- seeing like old codger Acer Asa up there pretending like it's still 1990, that part of the party. And then Bergam. Well, first of all, the fake basketball injury uh, that, by the way, great job. He got tons of press and then gets lots of kudos for showing up, you know, even though there's no evidence. Priscilla, I know you looked into it. Was any any emergency room visits from the Bergen campaign? But I haven't found he, anything yet. No, I, it's so strange. <laughs> yes, but he was fascinating because he kept hammering him. Even one time, pulled out his pocket Mao Constitution um, to to basically browbeat them over states' rights and that 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 what happened to this party that used to care fundamentally about states' rights and he did it within the abortion discussion, saying. 
we can't have a national ban. That won't work. Whereas like the social conservatives, they can't have any of that. They want California. They want everybody to have the same. And, and, and he kept going back to that. And Robert brought it up again, right. On that other issue, but it, it Bergam, that's a fascinating thing because that's a party sort of at war with itself internally. And it was great in many ways to see that on display in the debate last night, but folks, we're going to move forward. We're going to push forward. I really appreciate Robert Priscilla, your thoughts. It was a, a great discussion. Um, we have to talk about uh, just follow up on. I don't want to spend too much time, but look, in this state, the GOP has been, we talked about it, basically has lost it uh, since the spring election of Janet Protasiewicz. It started with the absolutely worst concession speech in the history of concession speeches for justices uh, the night of the election and just hasn't stopped. And it's now reaching this moment this week where the GOP filed a motion to try and uh, force Janet Protasiewicz to recuse herself in the gerrymandering case, which we've talked about that they've been ginning this up for a few weeks now. Um, it's fascinating and that this was done. And, and one of their main arguments is that somehow, you know, she got lots of funding from the Democratic Party and da 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 da. It's classic, you know, when the, the one of the main justices raising this is. Uh, totally got money from the Republican Party, never recused herself from major things having to deal with them. So the hypocrisy of it is obvious. But um, Robert, I'm going to uh, Priscilla, I'm going to go to you first on this one. And then, Robert, want your thoughts on this issue this week. Priscilla. Yeah, I mean, they're they're grasping at straws. They're just trying to figure out how they can attempt to pull this off because they know that these new maps will be fair. And that they'll actually have to run real campaigns, that it won't be just the GOP sending them money anymore. It just won't be the Uline sending them money anymore. They're going to actually have to get out and talk to their constituents and persuade people to vote for them. And they know that they can't do that. So they got to do they're going to try what they can try. It's, I mean, I'd be shocked if this would stand, because, again, every single one of those justices have received party donations in their campaigns and frequently do things for their parties post election as well uh so they're just scared to actually have to you know campaign like a real candidate should have to in the first place so priscilla you just see this as the normal squealings of minority party oh, yeah. that's finally getting its comeuppance yeah. robert robert your thoughts um, I have a more nefarious reading of it. <laughs> um, from we what I've that. known, from what I've known, there is no way to force recusals, as Priscilla rightly points out. The hypocrisy is absurd. These are the ones, and the and they're the justices that decided that having someone spend ten million dollars on your behalf and then having a case before you does not require a recusal, and that goes back to Citizens United and. You know, someone doing that—that's not corruption. If you buy them a, a dinner, that's corruption and 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 prosecutable. But uh, spend millions on not that. for a Supreme Court justice, though. Robert. Nothing to see here. Um, and so, well, they did that for the whole uh, for all elected officials, the the U.S. Supreme Court. And so, it's absurd. But here's the problem: the Republican noise machine, as David Brock called it years ago, is extremely good at creating an impression, and our side is extremely good at allowing them to do so. So do do, do folks remember that when Paul Wellstone, campaigning for re-election, tragically died in a plane crash, and the Wellstone family had a funeral, and the right tried to make it all inappropriate and politicized and blame all the Democrats for it, even though the Democrats had nothing to do with it. And it was not, it was the Wellstone family having a celebration of Paul Wellstone's life. There's evidence that it swung a lot of votes in a very close election and swung the Senate to, to, to the Republicans, not only in Minnesota, but a couple other places. So the point is they can create a lie. They're going to try to create the impression that something very nefarious occurred when Protasiewicz rules on the on the gerrymandering case and then use that politically. So that is what they're about here, and that is nefarious. Next topic, folks, that I really want to make sure uh, we get to, and that is we had on last week the editor and publisher of the Wausau Pilot Review, 
And she eloquently told us about how she is being in her paper is being harassed by a, essentially a slap lawsuit. Uh, and it's against this, uh, excuse me, by the state senator up there. And uh, this week, the big news is the Democrats, after the editor was on our show begging them to introduce legislation. What do you know? Inter- legislation was introduced this week, an anti-slap lawsuit legislation. Uh, I'm sure uh, that makes the Wausau paper very happy. Oh, I would also imagine uh, Mr. Uh, Kirk Bankstead up there is uh, also, I believe, facing a similar type slap lawsuit. Uh, and with that, <laughs> we're going to take a break here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. Battleground Wisconsin is supported by the good folks at WEAC Region 2, protecting the rights of education employees and promoting public education in the central Wisconsin area. Learn more at WEAC.org, W-E-A-C dot O-R-G. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Priscilla, right before the break, I introduced the Democrats' anti-slap lawsuit your thoughts on that yeah um it's it's we're in such a interesting and weird age of of free speech uh where we uh see some some platforms where you get you know community guideline uh violations for the smallest little things and some platforms like twitter where you can just basically say anything and maybe get banned for like two hours uh so uh, I'm I'm glad that this I'm glad that the Democrats listened uh, and that this is this is being proposed because it, it needs to be proposed because, again, it always seems like it's just Dems and progressives being hit with these these lawsuits that they did something wrong and it's never never the other side. Uh, but this is a bipartisan issue. And I'm glad that that's being pointed out uh, and has a little bit of seems to have maybe a little bit of bipartisan support and hopefully that signals that more will will come but this this is a thing that yeah we just it needs like free speech yes but that like we gotta have it be equal well look obviously slap lawsuits can go both directions uh if applied politically there's no doubt about that um, Robert, I want to get your thoughts, but I'll just say one final thing on this. I, it's very clear to me. It's just a further reflection of just the different approaches. Uh, conservatives and ma- the mega crowd right now, they use every damn piece of leverage they got. They're aggressive, uh, including this kind of activity against a publisher that they know it's bigger than just their case, that they're trying to take out an uh, uh, an organ of media and communication. Robert. Uh, the audience may recall that we asked the editor of the uh, Wausau Pilot Review last week about whether there was any legislation, and she didn't know of any. So it's great to know there was a secret in the works and that Democrats were drafting legislation. Um, I think, frankly, that this is the tool the powerful use to silence the speech of the powerless, because you can bankrupt someone out of not having speech. The slap suits themselves are not speech. They're harassment. Since the Republican Party reliably operates on behalf of the wealthiest among us, they will not support this. We will have to take back the legislature. In other words, and this is going to get worse. Priscilla's right. Uh, This will become an an increasing authoritarian tactic to try to put out of business independent media, uh, nonprofit advocacy groups, etc. And they'll say, well, it's completely not there's nothing wrong here. Uh, you didn't have to pay lawyers millions of dollars. Well, you did if you if you actually wanted to defend yourself against the uh, completely spurious lawsuit. And that's what a state senator is doing to a uh, to a very good independent media outlet in Wausau for reporting the truth about a horrible thing he said uh, to an LGBTQ plus youth uh, in a public hearing. So we need to take back the legislature and take away this tool because this is another way. If you have money, you have unlimited speech. And if you have money, you can shut down other people's speech. Let me just say, I think this is a huge issue. And you're absolutely right, Robert. The Republicans are not going to support and move this. 
but it is a great issue to use because it it is largely used against people who don't have the resources to just pay for these 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 kinds of lawsuits that certainly uh, go after disproportionately, you know, in this case, a, a small nonprofit publishing operation. And 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 we need to understand this is the this is the direction of media. It's and it's a critical media for us as as progressives. And they will be if if they can be shut down through slap lawsuits like this. It's it's uh, it's incredibly challenging. So I do want to say before we move on, I want to thank our listeners. Not only uh, I know a number of you went on and donated uh, to their page um, when when um, she first came on the show. That site was at, I think it was around 50,000 raised. It's now over 100,000 to help cover uh, that slap lawsuit. So shout out to also some of the other nonprofit media. I know the Examiner, uh, North News, uh, which is not nonprofit, but have had coverage uh, of this story, which I think is really important. So um, thank, shout out to the Democrats. Let's, we're going to keep talking about this. It should be an issue. It, it is important. Well, I hate to break off this conversation, but we're going to be joined very shortly by Amy Mizialko from the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association. Uh, but before we do that, Priscilla, it's this is uh, it's three year anniversary of the Jacob Blake shooting. And it's this ha- is happening within the context of what we talked about recently and what went on in Kenosha with the just unbelievable apprehension of an innocent uh, man with his uh, family. Priscilla your thoughts. Yeah. Um, it's almost unbelievable that it's been three years since, since the shooting, since the, the aftermath that seemed to never stop falling out. Uh, and you know, a a not guilty conviction for somebody whose name I'm not going to mention to not give that man notoriety. Uh, but we're seeing it in the context of Kenosha police, um, you know, brutally beating somebody, last month for something they didn't do and now charging this person for resisting arrest uh taking the baby out of his hands i also heard the baby got like pepper sprayed too uh because everybody in the general vicinity of the applebee's table got got in the way of pepper spray so um it's it can be heartbreaking but it's we've got some great folks out in kenosha we've got block we've got the aclu all in wisconsin leaders of kenosha is an amazing group that came out of the jacob blake shooting um and so i just want to encourage everybody to not get to not not give up uh there are groups in this fight we are in this fight trying to change make these changes uh so we don't have any more police brutality anniversaries like Jacob Blake also want to just give a little bit of uh, extra honor and love to to Jacob Blake and his recovery and his family's recovery uh, three years, three years later. Thank you, Priscilla, for that. All right, folks, we got a we have our, a guest and we're really, really happy uh, that she was able to take time to join us because um, there was big news this week in Milwaukee um, around something that we've been talking about. And that was the shared revenue uh, deal where um, we were very open. We thought the deal was terrible uh, and particularly terrible for public education, uh, not only in the way it funded public education, but how it was the largest in over 30 years, financial giveaway expansion of voucher schools and that it was going to set up, it's going to set up terrible things for particularly Milwaukee, but a whole bunch of districts in expansion. And well, we believe that has, well, we know it started this week with the news that St. Augustine is going to expand on the Cardinal Stritch campus, which we predicted when they (laughs) bought it a few weeks ago. So we asked Amy Mizialko to come back. Uh, She was instrumental in sounding the alarm bell and and the MTA and WEAC uh, when this proposal first came out for these shortcomings and she came on and talked with us. So we asked her to come back and talk about this situation. So Amy, thank you so much. Uh, And again, Amy is the president of the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association. Amy, thank you so much for coming back to talk to us about uh, this news about St. Augustine's growth. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me. So give us your initial thoughts. Like when you, when you heard the news, I'm sure your first thought was, well, we knew it, but man, did it come quick? And man, were they upfront about why they did it. Your thoughts. 
Um, it went really fast. And prior to uh, Tony Evers signing this budget, I kept hearing stories of private voucher school CEOs and um, other individuals in this parasitic edu business um, operation of private charters and private vouchers kept hearing about how delighted they were um, and taking victory laps in anticipation of what was to come. Uh, to see in uh, black and white in writing, uh, yes, the news a couple of weeks ago about St. Augustine getting the uh, Cardinal Stritch building, the Cardinal Stritch campus, excuse me. Uh, but to see the, um, you know, the story yesterday, yesterday or the day before, I'm not, I don't remember. Um, it, it's really, it's a, it's the first punch in the gut um, that, you know, is delivered by Governor Tony Evers. And I don't know if he knew. Yeah. <laughs> he had to know. I, hear, I hear it in your voice, right? Like, I, I, I don't often like, it's not my personal way on social media to go after like progressive allies. Cause I, this is not what I do unless I'm up. Like, I think that they've messed up. I, when this news broke, I just, it, it was heartbreaking because it was everything we knew and that they, St. Augustine's folks, if you haven't heard, right. They, this week flat out said, we are expanding St. Augustine's onto this campus that can hold 7,000 students because of the shared revenue it provided the resources and revenue that made this doable for them this would not have happened without that so let's be clear about what amy's talking about which is an incredibly tragic thing right it's hard it's emotionally hard amy uh further further thoughts on like have you all talked to the governor the governor's people about this and saying like yo this is what we said can we what can be done uh, and by the way, this is also on the same week DPI came out with the numbers announcing that it indeed you 39% of school districts are not getting an increase in revenue. And so <clears throat> about a week before the governor signed the budget, as people were scrambling, trying to figure out the kind of damage that this was going to do. Um, and I, I have to think about it in terms of damage to individual children. I don't think about it in terms of damage to an overall district um, because that takes away uh, the actual human impact that our children will experience. And so uh, about a week before we signed the budget, we were estimating that there would be 11 new dollars per child in Milwaukee public schools for this upcoming school year. $11, that is all. The budget got worse for Milwaukee public school students. And when that budget was signed, MPS students were, the $11 disappeared. And $17 million, $17 million was literally siphoned out of MPS students' classrooms and will be handed over to unaccountable private charter schools. Um, because of what Tony Evers did in the budget that he signed. So um, I'm, we will be at a bell ringing, I think at Maryland Montessori school in a, you know, the first day of school. Um, and I expect the governor to be there. Um, and frankly, I'll, I'll just tell you that um, I, 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 I hear you, Amy. I can't I imagine that he would try to come and stand there as if he did something to help public school students in Milwaukee when he uh, signed away. It's just this is this is the the statement that I have from this article um, is that Ramirez said the expansion to stretch is possible because of increased voucher amounts by over 20% for this school year, which is a, a greater sustainable funding source for them. Um, and 
So the fact that the people who have been attacking Milwaukee public schools in particular and public schools in general in the state are thanking Governor Evers, the governor that we elected. It makes me sick. We got to take a break. We'll be right back, folks. You you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking to Amy Mizialko, the president of the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association, about the news here in Milwaukee that we're going to have. It's going to be the largest voucher school, I think, in the history of the city, uh, expanding on Cardinal Stretch. That news broke just this week. Folks, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We are talking to Amy Mizialko, president of the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association, about the news this week that St. Augustine's will be expanding rapidly and massively their voucher operations on the north side on the Cardinal Stritch campus because of the deal cut around shared revenue that greatly increases uh, the amount of money that they will have. Um, Robert, I'm going to give you the first question. Then, Priscilla, you get the next question. Uh, uh, for Amy, Robert. Yeah, I want to thank you, Amy, uh, for what you just said, because even among friends, we're used to people kind of giving, I mean, they're not talking points, doesn't mean they don't believe it, but just, you know, the lines that we've all rehearsed as to what we're going to say about, about legislative issues or political issues. You clearly came and spoke from the heart as someone who has been at the front lines of fighting for public education in Milwaukee uh, for a long time and representing people who are doing the God's work that is all of the MPS teachers that MTEA represents. And public education starting in Milwaukee, it's now a statewide threat, um, had, has been under siege since the late 80s and the whole beginning of the right-wing conspiracy on vouchers. And to see a Democratic governor who was former DPI secretary, who has always said public education is his core value, uh, sign this while leaving a lot of power on the table. That's been our concern, because the main power of the governor is to create a public crisis where they, they're the only ones who represent the whole public and where they can marshal public opinion and, and understanding of what the legislature is doing. And so whether this is this is probably not something I'm sure it isn't something Governor Evers were just written himself, but whether it's bad strategy or weakness or whatever, we need to push back because we need a Democratic governor not to sign a budget like this and to use every single ounce of their power, as the Republicans always do, to try not to allow this kind of disaster to happen. And it seems to me this just creates a funding formula that gives voucher schools not only much larger increases by dramatic amounts, but sets them up to have an advantage over public education when they are less effective schools and any evidence that says they're effective is because they poach students and remove students and push them out um, who who are harder to educate or or special needs or or anything. Um, So I don't know. Uh, Way to go forward here is for people like leaders like you, Amy, which is what you're doing to be very honest about this so the Democratic coalition can understand why this has to be fixed right, that we have to get a a new legislature and completely fix this uh, as quickly as possible, hopefully within two years. But uh, any other thoughts you have on how we go forward or how bad this really is to make sure our listeners understand? You know, I was uh, I I watched the Republican presidential debate last night for a couple of hours um, and the to listen to several of the candidates um, pat themselves on the back and express pride in their part in advancing unaccountable private voucher and private charter schemes in in their state, uh, to listen to uh, Tim Scott and uh, Chris Christie talk about how uh, Republicans have to break the backs of teachers' unions. Governor Evers represented himself to all of us as a public schools champion. And we all believed him. We had no reason not to believe him. So whether a person is uh, vile and vicious uh, in the way that they speak about public education, 
um, like Mike Pence or Chris Christie, Tim Scott, any of those guys, or whether they just passively stand by and say, this is the best that we could do, um, the outcome is the same. Um, and so the danger and peril that uh, Governor Evers has put public school students in, it's it's unforgivable. And we need real Democrats who are not wishy-washy, Democrats who are not trying to ride both sides of the fence, Democrats who are going to proudly say public schools are the only schools that provide a democratic promise to every single family and student in this state and to support them unapologetically and to be a part of ending the kind of charter voucher private schemes in Milwaukee and in the state of Wisconsin. I thought we were there. I thought we were there with Democrats, but this has been a disappointing budget, Priscilla. Yeah, um, I want to go back to something you had mentioned before about the harm that this is going to directly do to the students. Because when I read this latest Journal Sentinel article and Ramirez is just openly saying, you know, we, we subscribe to the biblical version of family, the nuclear family. We're not going to necessarily turn people away, but this is who we are, which means they're going to turn people away. I went to private, a full tuition, non-voucher, non-charter religious school, K through 12. In ninth grade, my Bible teacher told me that kids of single parents take up the prison population. I am a kid of single parents. And that brought it right back up. And I thought, good Lord, we're just doing this that was back in 2008 and we're how many years out from that and we're just allowing these students to be like our students can't be pawns in this game that they're playing uh so i want to know what we can do for for the students to keep up the the morale that they have to keep up a teacher's morale educators morale like what what can we do for for that how can we fight for our students well-being in a place like this yeah, thanks, Priscilla. I think thank you for asking me the question about students. Um, you know, I will say that the uh, we have several um, activist students in Milwaukee public schools who either work with Youth Empowered in the Struggle, um, uh, with Vosas de la Frontera. We also have uh, students working with Leaders Igniting Transformation, uh, the Lit students, um, and. There are others as well, but uh, I'll tell you that um, every so often, you know, MTEA is asked, you know, can we provide some space for students as they're meeting to strategize or um, meeting to plan as they go over to a, you know, a school board meeting and testify or speak to the media? Um, any and every time that MTEA can provide uh, space, food, resources, camaraderie, um, you know, allyship to our student activists. We take the opportunity to do that every single time. Um, we have to triple down on how proud we are, Priscilla, to welcome every family and to make sure that every child from every family knows that they authentically belong in their public school. So our demands have to be held with even more resolve. Um, and that's, you know, someone asked me the other day with Moms for Liberty being in town um, and the awful way that they target, harass, and try to erase LGBTQ plus students and their families. Uh, someone asked me, does, uh, does it scare you? And, you know, my response was, uh, there's, there's no time to be scared. Um, our students and families deserve better. And we have to make sure that we're beating that drum nonstop to bring that, to bring that world, essentially, to bring that world for our students. We don't have it yet. I think, um, one of the most damaging things about what was done was a lot of the groups that you just spoke were intimately involved in the work to, for example, get police out of schools. But 
they're involved on so many levels, as you mentioned, in the school district, and they're advocating for themselves and their, you know, their their friends, their community, and they're directly impacted. They know what's going on in the schools, and their work was completely cast aside in this deal, right? And and that's what's so dispiriting, right? And why Priscilla, your maybe your response about how do we support these kids is important because I got to tell you, I'd be pretty disillusioned if I spent years working hard locally with my school board and with my community and building coalitions. And then that's undone by one like deal that, you know, it's, it's, it's dispiriting. So um, I think that's great. I love what you had to say about centering and thinking about how do we continue to support these kids, Amy, um, I want to give you final thoughts before we go. We got a, we got a minute left. First of all, thank you for, um, leading in this, uh, a critical critical fight for public education, but also coming on uh, today and talking with us. But any final thoughts before you go? Um, I'll just, you know, I, I had the opportunity to uh, welcome brand new teachers to Milwaukee Public Schools on Monday morning, uh, many of them coming um, internationally to join Milwaukee Public Schools. And the MTEA's commitment along with, you know, allies like Citizen Action and Block and Lit and Vosa, you know, all, all of these allies, um, we're very proud to um, say that we work very hard to make sure that every single family and child that comes to Milwaukee Public Schools um, is given the very best opportunities and resources that we would want for our own children. And so that, like, that will never change. That is the bar that will never change. Um, and we will, we will continue the struggle, um, at the same, and I'll just say, Matt, uh, in the same time that we're all dealing with the shock of the actions of Tony Evers, because this is just the first, this is just the first, this will just keep going. I gotta, gotta get myself steeled for more of these articles, unfortunately. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Thank you so much for being there in the fight. And let me just say, uh, my kids went through MPS all the way and they had amazing educators and what the spirit of what you just talked about, that, that I'm sure is alive and well, and it's part of what makes these schools amazing. So thank you all. Thank you so much for leading that fight and for all your members for the work that they do every day. Thank you. Well, Folks, listen, that was it was so great to have Amy on. We really appreciate um, that she took the time to jump on on short notice and especially on something you heard it so emotionally challenging. I feel it. Um, Robert knows this public education's like it's deeply, deeply personal. And and Robert brought it up. It has been a long fight in this community and in this state. And so this week was very, very challenging uh, emotionally. So I appreciate Amy coming on. Folks, we got to wrap up this podcast. It was outstanding. I want to thank, I want to thank a producer who makes this happen every week, uh, and we deeply, deeply appreciate him. But also, just personally, I want to thank my two panelists. I, 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 I love talking to you every week, and it was a great conversation. And I look forward to next week. We'll see y'all back here at the Battleground, Wisconsin. <laughs>